Welcome to the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast with me, Kathy Love. I'm a business coach who helps allied health professionals run powerful and profitable businesses in the disability sector. Join me for cutting edge interviews with leaders in the allied health and business fields, along with plenty of practical content that you can use to make your business practice perfect. Well, this is an absolute first for the podcast. There are four of us on here today. So um, good luck, listeners, for matching names and, uh, and faces and, and voices. I've got the uh, absolutely wonderful team from Everyday Independence in the room or in the virtual room today. Um, Ingrid Cole, Mal Healy and Leanne Healy. Welcome, guys. Thank you for having us, Kathy. So if I do a bit of a roll call and each of you say hello and what your role is, that will help listeners kind of match the rest of the conversation. Mal, how about you head off? What's, uh, what's your job? G'day, Kathy. So my role is the operational side of the, of the business. So anything that's non, non-therapy related or non-people related. So finance, facilities, all the stuff that Leanne and Ingrid don't want to do. Like the tech, the tech stuff, plugging things in and downloading this and making that look pretty. Yeah, that's it. Alrighty, okay. So, um, Ingrid, what's what's your role? Hi, Kathy. Um, I'm a physiotherapist and I'm the director of people and culture at Everyday Independence. So my job is to make sure that we find awesome people to join our team and to make sure that they really enjoy being here and can deliver really strong outcomes to people with a disability. And Leanne, I'm going to introduce you as OT of the year because you were probably hoping I was going to forget that bit. What's, uh, right. what's your... Leanne would have introduced herself as OT of the year. Look, I was banking. I just didn't want to. I, I just didn't want to kind of yeah give her that chance. But OT of the year, Leanne Healy. What's what's your role? Um, so I wear a, a clinical excellence hat. So my role is to. Um, shape the, um, the, the practice model and then to look at the, at the training and the competency of the, ther- of the therapist to be able to work within that model. So our, the model that we work in, which we can talk about later, is, uh, is a social model. So it's, it's a bit of a shift for a lot of people. So the, the training and development um, around that is, uh, has been really critical. Now, the reason that there's three of you leading this, uh, this machine is going to become apparent. Who wants to describe what everyday independence looks like at the moment? And I've got my arms right out wide to the side on this one. Who wants that job? Mal looked at me. So um, everyday independence, we support people with a disability to reach their full potential and to enjoy an everyday life. So we do that by building on what is working and creating changes in areas that are not by delivering OT, physio and speech pathology. So, Cathy, probably since the last time I've spoken with you, we have significantly grown. Um, on August the 12th... Such a surprise. We will have 232 people in our organisation <sighs> and um, very proud because all 232 of those people 
we believe share that same vision that I articulated at the beginning of explaining what everyday independence does. So that's been a real focus of ours for the last few years is that everybody um, working towards the same goal and the same mission. And whereabouts geographically are all your services nowadays? So we've got uh, 14 sites, Cathy. We're focused on on Melbourne, uh, Victoria and, and, uh, and New South Wales. So in Victoria, we have a, a, a Melbourne presence. So there's seven sites in Melbourne. And our goal in, in Melbourne was to be no more than 20 minutes away from a, a participant. And I think we're, we're pretty close to achieving that, as well as some of the key rural areas of, um, of in Barwon, Ballarat, Bendigo and Aubrey. And in New South Wales, we're in uh, Newcastle. That was, that was our first NDIS, NDIS site. And we have uh, four sites in, in Sydney. So in Sydney, we're probably half an hour from, from any, uh, any participant. Depending on the traffic. I think yeah. it takes at least yeah. half an hour to do anything <laughs> in Sydney. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> wow. So give us a little clue about the growth you've had even just in the last 12 months. Um, again, Mao's looking at me. So I think um, in the last 12 months, we've grown from um, 112 people to, as I said, as of August, 232 people. So that's welcoming occupational therapists, physios and OTs to our organisation, but also re- really building support teams um, in our organisation to be able to support the therapists to deliver their best work and um, to really communicate and advocate on behalf of the participant to be able to receive the services that they need to reach their goals. And virtually all of your work is is participants with NDIS funding, as I understand it. But what we all know now is that it, it takes a really, really different way of working um, under the NDIS, um, certainly one of agility and resilience with the constant changes. But what have, what have you seen by way of change needed to deliver services to participants? I mentioned earlier that that we work within a social model of disability and for a lot of experienced therapists, shifting from a a medical or a a rehab, a psychosocial um, model. Traditional medical model, yeah. So shifting across to a social model has really been a, a, a big jump because when you're working in a social model, you're looking at building capable environments around people. Um, so that's not just physical environments, but it's it's social environments, it's the people that they're communicating with, and it's really viewing that, um, that disability is a social construct. So historically, I think therapists have assessed the person with a disability, that's the person who has a problem. Our job is to fix or minimise that problem and then when that person's problem has resolved, then they might be able to join the community or join different groups or do different things. So the focus really is on the person and the person's problem. But when you're working in a, in a social model, it's working with everybody that's around the person. And I know that we talk a lot about capacity building, but, um, you know, capacity building is not training and education. It's, it's mm. truly building building capacity of people so that they, you know, are around confidence and self-efficacy. So that's probably been the biggest shift for people. Mm. Where have you got great information about um, 
progressing towards the social middle model of disability. I hear people kind of giving it um, lip service and they've read a couple of articles. Where have you guys dug in and got that, that good um, content? We went right back to basics and looked at, um, I looked at a lot of the work around person-centred practice. So we actually went right back and we changed our language, we changed our, the we changed our, our reporting formats, we changed, um, um, we, we also became a person-centred organisation from within um, with the way that we uh, work with our team members, but it was person-centred practice, which, which probably we, we were really inspired by the work by Helen Sanderson. So um, that was a starting point for us. But um, we had to we had to roll that out in a in a in a fairly intensive um, way across the team. And what have you heard from therapists as they've shifted from a pretty familiar medical type practice into something that is a lot more contemporary and person centred? What have you What have you heard? I'm sure you've heard positives and a bit of resistance as well. I think some of the positives have been that um, just it's much more of a shared responsibility around goal achievement. I think when you're when you're working in an expert model, you go into a session and you're thinking, this person, I'm going to support this person to change, and that is my job, um, and that is my responsibility. But when when you're working in a person-centered way, it's you. You know, you, you go in there with no set agenda and you're working on the on the goals that are important and meaningful that for that person. It's not goals that are based on what your assessment score sheet says. Or they're not um, even what, OT goals or speech therapy goals. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 person goals. Yeah. So um so a lot of people, uh, I mean, if, if you're doing that well, you get incredible outcomes. So I think the therapists have really valued um, getting uh, getting greater impact and feeling like they're having greater impact for people. And certainly if we look at, at Coppin results of satisfaction and performance, I mean, that, that people are self-rating, um, that the impact is greater when they're obviously working on goals that are important to them. But, um, but the negative side of it is that um, people like to go into sessions with very, you know, highly planned, um, yeah, there's the sessions being planned. I mean, we were continually, continually being asked, where's the assessment form? Where can I print out the assessment form? I need to take in an assessment form. Um, so I think just, you know, just having to go in and meet people where they were at um, was a source of frustration for people because they felt like they didn't have a lot of control over that session. They didn't have their expert known tools with them to sort of start and that I guess it's a, it's a mind shift, isn't it, to go in with a framework of operating but um, curiosity about where it's going to start and end. And it's certainly shaped our teams, Cathy, because we've been on this journey now since about 2015 and there's certainly been people that worked in our organisation and that's not the model in which they wanted to work. So, for some people, it hasn't been the model and they've needed to, to seek employment elsewhere or seek a different role in our organisation. So we've done a lot of work in being 
not only person-centred with participants, but also person-centred in the way that we recruit, attract and retain people and really looking at, well, what is the right job for them? And sometimes that's been not at everyday independence. So we've experienced some workforce churn like everybody else in the disability sector and industry has, but really fine-tuning about, well, what is our employee value proposition, not just in the terms of the way in which we deliver a social model to disability, but also the way in which we train and develop and function as a team. So run us through what a person-centred organisation really looks like. Please. Do you want to start? So Mal and I are currently doing a person-centred leadership training program. So Mal's just done a lot of work in that space. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. I suppose, Cathy, we start with the person in the middle and whether that's a participant or the staff member. And and we'd like to think that our organisational structure is, is tipped upside down where the role of the the managers and, and even our role as directors is really to to ensure that there's an environment where the where the staff member can I'm gonna have to correct you now, team member. Team member, I'm just about breaking out in hives. <laughs> team member. Team member. That's my yeah, it's all right now. No one's listening, it's fine. It's just us. Just us at the bar. Yep. Okay, take two. <laughs> With our team members that, that, you know, as directors, our role is to provide an environment where the team members feel like they've got the, the resources and, the, you know, the motivation to, to support the participant as much as possible. So, so I think philosophically that's, that's really where, where, we, where we sit that, that, I don't know, Ingrid doesn't like the term that servant, servant leadership, but that, that's <laughs> certainly the, the philosophy that we have. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I agree. So it is that the team member is firmly at the centre or the, the participant. But what we what does a person-centred organisation look like? Um, we're really proud of the fact that all of the tools and all of the strategies and all of the capacity building supports that we use when we're working with participants in their natural environment are actually all of the same tools and strategies and capacity building supports that we use with our team members. So even our annual performance and salary reviews, for example, look very similar to the way that we would assess and build goals with somebody in the community because at the end of the day, we're all trying to learn, we're all trying to develop a skill and we're all working towards goals. So whether that's at a career level or a lifestyle level. So certainly that flow on effect happens right through our organisation and out into the people that we work with. Ingrid, you mentioned uh, before about uh, an employer value proposition. I know what that is and it's one of my, yeah, favourite topics. What would you describe your EPV, um, EVP to be um, at Everyday Independence? So we're currently working on that more at the moment because with our person-centred journey, the EVP is really a person-centred approach to recruitment Mm. and employment. So even at the time of assessing a candidate, we sit down with them and we understand what's important to them, what do people like and admire about them and how best to support them. And really, if we can shape a role within the context of the business requirements, we're really able to support that person in their employment. I think um, everyday independence is certainly uh, a place to come if you want to grow, learn and develop. So we are 
unashamedly a, a career destination of choice. So it is about coming here and building your career. It's about coming here and learning or further extending your skills working in the disability sector. Um, so there's all of those high impact attributes that we look for around a growth mindset, um, a can-do attitude, um, a quest for learning that uh, we would hope that our employee value proposition can meet. I certainly think in the last year too we've seen um, incredible um, investment but also advancement in clinical excellence and also the way in which our teams support each other and scales given us that as well. So having nearly 250 people means that there's always somebody around to support you, to have a conversation with, to work with, bounce ideas off. Um, and then there's always the participants. Cathy, I mean, we're out there getting the most incredible outcomes for people with a disability. We were just talking today about somebody who came to us, I think, maybe two years ago. They're now using an eye gaze machine. Oh, that's not the term. What is it? Eye gaze what? there, eye gaze technology, mm -hmm. and, um, and they're actually now feeding themselves and now looking at them being able to um, manually operate their own wheelchair, which is something that was nobody thought was possible three years ago. Uh, sounds like independence to me. <laughs> Who feels brave enough to talk about recruitment and workforce, or, or do we really need wine for that one? <laughs> no, it's it's front and centre of what we do every day. Yeah. So I think all three of us are probably brave enough to talk mm. about it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've uh, we've been on a really steep learning curve. I've always come from the idea. I mean, I just make an assumption that everybody comes to everyday independence and they are just thirsty, thirsty, thirsty for knowledge that they will work tirelessly to. <laughs> to oh. Um, <laughs> How's that working out for you, Leanne? <laughs> and that they're, you know, that just the fact that they are getting great outcomes and learning lots and lots and lots of information, surely that is enough. <laughs> it's uh, So it's been a fairly steep learning curve for me to really understand and appreciate how important that relatedness piece mm. is at work so I think um, I, I would have to say probably over the last 12 months I think we've um, been much more aware of it and just probably in the last six months we really have made huge inroads into into the how important relatedness is within the workplace and I think if you are going to achieve that then um, people need time so they need time to be able to do deep thinking work. Um, they need time to reflect. Um, it's not just time with somebody else and reflecting with somebody else. They actually just need to be able to sit and take in what's been going on for them in the week. Um, so, I, I, so I think in terms of value proposition, Look, I believe if you've, if you've worked with everyday independence for a year, I think you could work nearly anywhere, and I absolutely believe that. 
Um, I think that what you learn is incredible. But I think what we've been able to do now is weave in through in a, in a person-centred way, really weave in the importance of, of relatedness and, and, and friendships and um, weave that into the workplace, which, is, um, which has been a really positive move. With the trajectory of doubling your team every year, are you guys seriously thinking of opening your own university? Um, sort of. I've, well, I think <laughs> sort of. Week, yes. <laughs> this week, I've um, I've been looking at at all of the e learning platforms, and, and we certainly are going to go down that that track of of um, of e learning and creating a whole lot of of courses internally and we, we've had lots of conversations with the university about about some of our concerns related to work readiness and you know we still get comments from from um from therapists about to graduate to say oh well the university have said to us that the best place to start off is in a hospital oh um, gosh i know but, ingrid and know, i have had yes tearful text messages on this so we're still we're still trying to break that break that down, and, and I do think that the that the um, the tertiary organisations are, are much more open to that. And at the OT conference, there was a lot of discussion, a lot of discussion around that. But definitely, we we um, workforce development and and training is is something um, that we're very very focused on, especially especially a graduate. Or a, an 18-month graduate year with some formalised training. And it's something that we've heavily invested in. So we have a off-to-flying start program where everybody that joins our organisation goes through a quite an intensive three-month training program. Um, but we've really had to shape that too because that looks very different for a new graduate to perhaps an experienced clinician that is now moving into working in a social model of disability. So what I think we're really proud of is, is that somebody can actually come into everyday independence and we now actually have all the supports and the structures and, and some really contemporary platforms to, to um, support people, to work with people with a disability and get great outcomes. Wonderful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love it. So um, I don't think we can kind of progress too much further without having a bit of a chat about the NDIS. Um, you should see the eye contact that is going on right now, listeners. Uh, I don't even know what question to put to you um, about the NDIS. Um, let's maybe start with the highlights. Where, where are the where are the good bits in the NDIS? Let's just take the context of the last 12 months. Where are the gems? From my perspective, I, I just love that we're supporting people that haven't had therapy for, for many Ever. years, whether yeah. it's either forever or it's a 16-year-old school kid that hasn't had therapy for the last for the last 10 years and, and just the, you know, the, the benefits that one or two or half a dozen therapy sessions can provide that, that people. So I think that's the real the real positive that we're seeing people for the first time and in a very short period we're able to have a, a, an amazing impact on their, you know, on their life. So certainly for me. Yeah. I think, um, gosh, I mean, certainly there's, there's challenges, uh, but for us it's been on the whole a positive experience, but I think we've always worked in an individualised funding model. So we didn't perhaps have to make some of the, changes that perhaps other organisations had to make um, 
in, in entering the NDIS. Um, we were also very lucky to be in both areas of trial, so Newcastle and Geelong, and then we were able to build on our learnings in working in the NDIS as it entered full scheme rollout across Australia. So really for us, the NDIS has brought enormous opportunity because it has enabled us to scale and then deliver all of those things that we've talked about already. So things like a clinical excellence program and off to a flying start program, um, being able to support people in their early career because we've got scale and we've got other people in our organisation, which was really tricky to do before the NDIS because organisations were much, organisations of our type were much smaller. So it has brought for us an enormous opportunity to develop a workforce that can deliver a social model and to, to deliver that to thousands of people um, that, yes, either A, had sub, substandard supports or no supports or at least offering them a different type of support perhaps compared to what they were getting. Yeah, yeah. And, Cathy, yeah. I, yeah, I've really loved, really loved the fact that the NDIS have pretty much said these are the rules and haven't been too prescriptive about implementation. So f because we invest so much in innovation and we've got a lot of, re you know, we have a lot of resources that are, that are, are not working directly with people but working in, in spaces of innovation um, and subject matter experts that are working on innovation within certain areas. So... For us, that's been fantastic. It's it's regulators who say you have to fill out this assessment form and you have to write the report this way and you have to use these assessments. I mean, they're the they're the organisations that we really struggle with <laughs> yeah. these days. Yeah. So yeah. I, I I've loved that about the NDIS. Yeah. And then what about the challenges that it's presenting to you as directors and maybe for clinicians and also for participants? Certainly, certainly from a, a, you know, as directors, there's been a couple of challenges really from the, from the IT platform and, and probably not having systems that are robust enough for, for a scheme the size that it's, size that it's grown yeah. to. So I think that's, that's certainly been an immediate, immediate challenge and one that one, one that we're working through and the NDIS are aware of and, you know, I'm really confident that in a couple of years they'll, they'll have a really, a really good system. But I think in the early days that, that, that was a real, a real challenge and for many people that was really the first exposure with the, with the NDIS with some of the, the technical interface and both providers and participants were, you know, I think their, their first taste wasn't that, wasn't that great because of, because of that. Mm. Yeah, and that portal debacle of X number of years ago is still uh, burnt on the hard drive of many, I suspect. Yes. Yeah. Where else are there challenges for you guys? I think, you that, I think that the absolutely appalling way that the NDIS managed um, assistive technology and home mods mm. was so challenging to the point where it really impacted um, it impacted morale um, there were many people that were that were um, deregistering and moving away from the scheme purely because of issues related to AT and home mods which should have been anticipated so um, that was an enormous frustration for everybody I think and 
and is um, it's significantly better now. But um, yeah, that I mean that went on for a long time. Yeah, I think it's perhaps coming out of the bottom of the curve, a uh, little bit of a glimmer, but um, I would go so far as to say that really challenged human rights um, and life Absolutely. as such. Yeah. 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 And when you, I mean, when you um, are, because our philosophy is an outcome is not just completing an equipment request form and an outcome is not just when a piece of equipment arrives at someone's house. I mean, that's when the real therapy starts around embedding that solution into a, you know, supporting someone to achieve a participation goal. So, you know, there were lots of fracturing of relationships with families as well because they're saying, well, you know, the the OT hasn't come back and the OT hasn't got the equipment. And, I mean, it was, that was very challenging. Yeah. Ingrid, any challenges that uh, you want to share up? Look, I think for many of us at at EI, we've really tried to approach it with a long-term view. So, you know, not dissimilar to Medicare, it took 10 to 15 years (laughs) to come to fruition. And I think there's an enormous amount of goodwill within our teams to really take that long-term view and not get too bogged down in the drama and the frustrations of the day-to-day. I think one thing that certainly challenges us all is that perhaps those families that have good advocacy or really strong advocacy are probably faring quite well under the NDIS, but for those people that that don't have good advocacy or good supports around them, that there really are some significant gaps in service which can obviously impact on their long-term future. So it is about working in a really supportive environment to support each other. There's probably some compassion fatigue and mm. things certainly out there, but um, we're certainly trying to take that long-term long-term view so what do you think it's going to look like in five years' time? All of it, life, the universe, the NDIS. Well, it's incredible how quickly five years has gone. So, Cathy, I'm based in Geelong and we're now into our sixth year of the NDIS and we're still seeing people get their first plans. So I think we've probably underestimated how long this social reform is going to take. Um, but... I probably similar to what Leanne has said is it is quite exciting that it is now up to the market to innovate and um, take opportunities and take risks. And I've certainly seen a lot more collaboration rather than competition happening over the last few years because it is just such an enormous opportunity for everybody. Um, so I, I hope that we see some really different service delivery models, some different things happening, some great entrepreneurship. I think it's a really exciting space. I certainly hope that we see more graduates and allied health professionals wanting to come and join us in this in this space. Um, that's certainly going to be a key area of focus for us over the next two years to really show people um, how they can have such a meaningful occupation because we know that Generation Y is looking for cause, community and career, and I think that the NDIS offers that to everybody. Yeah. What do you, well, well, um, Leanne and Mal, what do you think the next five years are going to look like? I think providers are going to be much more challenged, Cathy, around getting outcomes and, mm. and demonstrating mm. outcomes for the investment yep. Um, yep. That, that, the, um, that the scheme's making. So it's a $22 billion investment. And, um, and I think we all have the challenge and should rise to the challenge of, of um, 
of really being able to on it. outcomes mm. and, and deliver on those outcomes. So things like outcomes, outcomes-based pricing, I think will be mm-hmm. will be much more of a, a a topic and much more of a challenge for for um, for us as providers. And um, I, I think you know one of one of the points that I, that I wanted to make based on our experience with um, with Barwon and with Newcastle, who were the two tri- they were the two trial sites, is and this is hope for everybody out there, is that. Um, everyone's just in a click, you know, it's as in, you know, they've just, they've got this great routine at work and everybody in the, in the area within that sector, they all understand the same language, um, whereas the trial sites are so stressful. So there is hope. I mean, you do get to a point where, you know, everyone just goes to work and, it's it's just much more a much more relaxed routine for people, um, and that you're saying that's on the back of maturity in in the yeah. areas in the in the neighbourhoods. Yeah, yeah, um, and I think the exciting thing for us will be that around true interdisciplinary teamwork. So. Um, that is a very sophisticated piece of work, actually working as a true interdisciplinary team where you might get therapy funding, a certain amount of therapy funding, and then the team just comes in and out quite seamlessly around what the, what the person needs where you, you haven't got silos and you haven't got individual therapy goals. So I think that that's that's definitely going to be the way to get uh, to get the best outcomes for people. So I think you know I'm hoping that we see see a lot more of that. That's exciting. That yeah, absolutely lights lights me up. That's good, good, good. So what can you uh, what can you tell us about uh, the future developments of everyday independence in the next little while? What are you what are you up to that you don't want anyone to know about? certainly one of the things for us Kathy is is about growth and it's it's not growth necessarily from a business point of view but we we do feel a really strong responsibility to to make the NDIS work and for us to be really part of that solution so when when we talk about growth it's as much around we think we've got the model that works and we just want to get it out to as many people as as we can so certainly certainly that growth aspect more people supporting more participants is is just going to be a way of life for us over the next two or three years. And particularly people that are hard to reach. Um, mm. We would we, we would really like to think that the that the model that we have can reach some of those people that are that are tricky to reach. And then there's a real to to achieve that growth, there's a really strong focus on our workforce. So we know that there is a workforce shortage. Um, but we really do want to be industry leaders in workforce development and we're looking at a number of um, initiatives to to do that. But really attracting a workforce and building a workforce that can deliver on that success of the NDIS that that Mao spoke about. So we're already seeing um, people within our organisation that are already starting to think about their career future and their workforce future. And so how do we continue to develop those people so that they can continue with everyday independence um, and really perhaps increase its reach across Australia? 
I hear about um, career pathways in organisations um, all of the time and I, I, I like to hear that because it implies that maturity of the whole sector, if you want to call it a sector, and that private practice is growing up and that it's we're now business owners and organisations and the language is growing up with the size of the, the business. And, um, yeah, people are, are looking to work in the private sector for their whole careers, but there's got to be places for them to go right up through to, you know, senior leadership and so on and so forth. Um, is that kind of what you've got in mind that you can, you'll really be able to offer a, a really vibrant, encouraging workplace regardless of where someone is at in their career? Do you want to answer that? There you go. <laughs> um, yes, we, we're also, we will be, you know, we're, we're starting to gather data and and we're going to have a, a big research arm um, over the next 12 months because we want to gather data to be able to inform the scheme to say that, um, you know, if if you want this outcome, if this, you know, for this person to achieve this outcome will cost this much yeah. money in therapy. I mean, we've got a situation at the moment where the scheme is telling us, telling therapists, how much it's going to take to achieve a certain outcome. And, um, uh, you know, I'd like to be able to, you know, we would like to get that data so that we can inform the scheme um, around. Yeah, real-life benchmarks for equipment and participation outcomes, yeah. But, but that will also mean that in, in terms of roles within, within the organisation that, that there will be opportunity for, for research roles, for leadership roles um, and, and specialty roles, training roles. Hmm. And we what certainly else? find that even as early as sitting down with people at their six-month review, people are already starting to think, well, yeah. what, what does my career look like in Horizon 1, Horizon 2, Horizon 3? And we have a very clear structured pathway right through from graduate clinician right through to advanced practice clinician. We also have an internal leadership program as well. Um, so certainly I think it is about not, not just um, developing people for a life at everyday independence, but developing people to then be able to go out into the sector or potentially other sectors and, um, and be successful. So if we were known as, as an organisation that, you know, could really prepare people for their future careers, that would be success for us. I'm mindful of time. What else, what else would you like listeners to know about what you do and why you do it? got silence, Kathy. Yeah. I love silence. It's one of my favourite sounds. Take your time. I think one of our uh, learnings has been, and I, I wish that we had have learnt this earlier, is... Um, is around really the when referrals come in to the organisation and and our growth was very very quick, but making sure that therapists work within scope, and that that means that you really have to understand um, the um, the needs of the person who is who requires the service, 
and ask the right information and that's why we've invested in the in the front line um, and I think just if therapists are able to work within the scope of their practice while still being able to push their edges um, with the right level of coaching and mentoring then that is the absolute perfect matchup for the participant and the therapist to get great outcomes um, so I think we've nailed that. I would have really liked to have nailed that <laughs> three years ago. <laughs> I, I agree because we, we often refer to Everyday Independence 2.0. We're a very, very different organisation to what we were three years ago. I mean, we were we were caught up in that, that tornado that I think perhaps everybody else was with the introduction of the NDIS, but we've certainly chipped away. We've put systems in place. We've put processes in place and it's... Um, yeah, it's a very different place to work and and to be a part of now. And I think that would be great for our listeners to know that that you know evolution is is just so important. Certainly, whilst our whole sector is transforming, we've we've taken some risks. Some have paid off. Some some we haven't paid off. Um, and I feel so extremely grateful to have been able to take to take those risks. Um, but. Yes, I think that everyday 2.0, and I'm sure we'll evolve, evolve to 3.0 and 4.0 as well. I hope well, so. It, it is about, it is a different place now, Cathy, yeah. Mal, what else would you like listeners to know? Um, certainly new grads, I'd love for them to, to look at the private sector as, as a place that they can start their start their career. As, as Leanne said, we, we often get feedback from the universities around pushing new grads to, to a hospital setting or a not-for-profit setting. But I, I think it's a great a great environment for, for someone to be challenged, to learn to learn new skills and, and you know, seriously start a, a, long, a long-term career. So, you know, if there's any new, new grads listening, I'd love for them to jump on the website and, and uh, <laughs> www. <laughs> and, uh, and check, us, check us out. And... and, now, and- Finish the pitch. Finish the pitch. Give us the complete <laughs> website. People are pulling their cars over as we speak. www.everydayind.com.au. Go, Mel. And to add to that, you've got a really, really good join the team page. Like it's not as though people just go and get a, a quick little one or two sentences. You've gone to a ton of effort to make it really inviting and interesting and really getting people to think about what they can be doing next to join you. I've never told you that, but it's really cool. Well done. Thanks, and, and the exciting part about that is, is it's changing weekly. Uh, we, we're in this sort of state of flux where we want to put up the positions that are available on the website, Kathy, but actually we always have positions available. So we're really we're bringing on bringing on thirty new team members every eight weeks at the moment. They're our projections. So if people wanted to come and work with us, it's that person centered approach to recruitment starts with that. Would that organisation be a good fit for me? Yeah. And then I think the other thing that's um, we're excited about is that you know when we look at our clinical excellence, we we go global. We we search internationally about what's the best. We want to be the best at therapy in the world, but we're also going global on workforce development as well. So we're we're looking outside of Australia, um, but we're also now in a position where we can do supervised practice for people that have done their stage one audit. So we are 
also really think that there's a dormant workforce in Australia that just given just the right supports that they'd be able to come and join our team and and really add to the diversity of our team um, as well. So, yeah, it's lovely feedback to receive that about the Join Us page and <laughs> we will keep, keep updating it. Mm. All righty. Well, we're going to have to get you back in for a, a bit of a catch-up uh, next year. Are you guys up for a, a, a reheat next year and an update? Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Cool. All right, I'm going to give you the very last say, um, maybe a, a, a statement from each of you um, about um, business and perhaps what you've learned personally from business. I think my big big learning is from a big sister Leanne, where she said that um, if you <laughs> OT of the year, that Leanne, no OT of yeah, the just year. Just read which, the back of my case. <laughs> I think her philosophy was, if we do the right thing by the participant, everything else will fall into fall into place. And she still has that mantra around: it's all about the participant. If we do that well, everything else will follow. And and to date, that's that's been pretty true. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I'm going to really piggyback on that, but it is really we have had a real focus on culture and if we can get the culture right and we can support people to do their best work, they're going to really drive really strong outcomes for for the participant. And um, it's, it's not just the NDIS brings this opportunity to not just survive but also now for all Australians to thrive. And so I feel so incredibly grateful to be able to do that as my job. Um, so that would probably be my parting words. <laughs> Leanne, OT of the year. OT of the year. Um, look, I always say on any given day that we need to do the best we can with what we have today. Um, so I, I think that I... I I kind of say that to my to myself most days. To keep mm. you sane. <laughs> <laughs> to keep it all together and looking pretty. <laughs> well done, guys. Thank you so much for your time and we will definitely see you in 2020 and um, we will enjoy all that you do and the impact that you guys are absolutely determined to make on your team and participants and all the rest. So um, big thanks from me. Thanks, Thanks for having Kathy. us along today. Nice to see you again. Bye. 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 I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Private Practice Made Perfect podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit practicemadeperfectpodcast.com. While you are there, you can subscribe for future episodes and continue your business adventure with me. And please be sure to share this and other episodes with your friends and colleagues.